Welcome to the Values Room Podcast. I'm Anna Sassmarsen. I am your host, Corporate Vice President, and the founder of Transformation Through Conversations. I am on a mission today to help you sink your dreams to actions. I lead, coach, and facilitate conversations that create movement in your mindset, in your perspective, and most importantly, in your actions. The Values Room is a space where I thrive to raise the bar on values. I want to bring understanding, awareness, techniques, and stories about wins, and sadly, sometimes about losses related to both the presence and absence of values. Paraphrasing John Maxwell, I'd like to say that the most powerful message you will ever deliver is the one you live. Life without values is baseless. Values are not what you do. They are who you are. Please join the conversation by commenting and sharing your opinions and questions. I would love to hear what speaks to you the most from each episode and even what you disagree with. Please share and help me build a true values community. Today's guest is an international speaker, a speaking coach. He is a founding faculty of communication and the co-creator of the Maxwell Method of Speaking with Maxwell Leadership and also founder and coach at SpeakerPro. He spent the last 17 years as a professional public speaker and speaker trainer and has helped over 10,000 people one-on-one find their voices and craft their keynotes and ultimately becoming public speakers. Besides John Maxwell, he has shared the stage with many others, including Les Brown, Bob Proctor, Seth Gooden, and more. Welcome, Roddy. Roddy Galbraith. Woohoo! <laughs> well, thanks for that lovely introduction, Anna. It's uh, a real pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I love what you're doing on uh, on the Values Room with the, your your podcast on values. I think uh, it's such an important message, and um, certainly Susan and I in our business, we've tried to, to to run our business from a place of values. Tried to make the world a little bit better with every business transaction, rather than a little bit worse. So I think what you're doing is great work, and, uh, and we need more of it in the world. So thanks for having me today. Gosh, thank you so much, and thank you for being a guest on the Values Room podcast. I of would course. love to start with your own story. How did you find your own voice, Roddy? And when did you become a public speaker? So, oh my goodness, where do we start? That's a that's a big question. I think um, I think t- finding your voice for everyone is a journey. You don't necessarily. Um, you you have no idea what you're going to speak on or that you want to speak and then suddenly you find it i think it's a a gradual process of discovery sometimes it finds you a little bit like trying to find your purpose or trying to find your niche within a particular business i think you just start out with whatever you know and uh, gradually you discover more my story in a nutshell was um i had a, a great group of friends when i was young and so didn't go to didn't go to university didn't go to college 
uh, didn't fail out of school, but almost, you know, I, I failed the exams, retook them, just about scraped through and then had kind of five or six lost years of just going out and having fun with my friends. We were all in the same boat. None of us had jobs. None of us went to college. My parents were supporting me. So that was like the first sector of just, you know, it was all about having fun. Then I realized I was playing catch up. It was getting more and more stressful, not having a, not having a job, not being responsible. So I, I, I got a, a low paying job initially within the financial sector luckily through a friend in uh, in london working for um, various different financial institutions and i got my first job by luck really of connecting with the with the interviewer um, and we kind of hit it off and then i realized that you can learn the process of hitting it off you can learn the process of getting better in interviews and so i really focused on interviewing and then over the next 15 years changed jobs reasonably frequently uh, and um, made up for a lot of the lost time, ended up doing pretty well, actually, considering my, my late start, ended up with a team of about 150 people, um, what would have been about $25 million pounds uh, a year. So uh, the exchange rate changes, but at the moment that would be about $30 million a year budget. So big job, big team um, for a big financial uh, global uh, South African company. And it was it was good, and I and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't fulfilling. And so one day I said to my boss, "I'd really like to go and do something else." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, I really enjoy the coaching. I really enjoy the speaking. So I'd like to, I'd like to see if I can make a business out of that." And he said, "Well, that's a really bad idea. You've got a great job here. <laughs> I think you should carry on doing what you're doing." And um, and I said, "Yeah, everyone's telling me that, but I really feel like there's more for me, and this is what I want to do." And so he said, "But you know, he tried to talk me out of it." Um, but eventually he said, well, look, if you're serious about this, you want to do this, then make sure you hand over everything here. Uh, make sure you leave everything in good order. Find a successor, hand everything over to them. Convince me that everything is going to be all right and then we'll support you. We'll look after you at the end. You can go off and do whatever you want and, you know, um, you know, and we'll help you in that. And they became my first client, actually, um, when I left. It took a, a, a best part of two years to do that for reasons I won't go into. I could hand over almost everything, but there was some um legal battles that went on and so i was there with very little to do and so i was going around and chatting to my team and meeting um my team it was an extended team so I had my direct reports that i met anyway and so i'd meet them typically once a week then i'd go and sit down with them and say what you're up to what you're working on they'd get sick of me <laughs> sitting with them and so i'd go and talk to their direct reports and so i spent time with the whole team actually i'd sit with the receptionists i'd sit with the um, the security, the people, uh, the help desk, the switchboard, market data, hospitality, uh, the um, facilities management people, the postcard, everything, everyone. I'd spend time with them and, and really got to know them. And initially I was just killing time. And then I got to, to, to like them, know and like them more and more. I'd ask them what they were stuck with. They say, oh, we're worried about losing our jobs or we're worried about this or we're worried about the future. And so it was very easy for me to say, well, we should do something about that. Let's bring in a financial advisor and like, you know, make sure everyone gets some great advice. Let's bring in uh, different people. Let's bring in them. Communication was one of the things we focused on. People were worried about losing their jobs. It was at a point of kind of global turmoil and meltdown, global recession. So I said, well, let's let's do interview training then. And so we became little by little, we became a team of communicators and we mm. became a a team of people who um, did pretty well in, in interviews because that's what we worked on. Well, I started doing off-site retreats for speaking. Uh, other departments uh, were, were looking at what we were doing and saying, could you do that for us? And so I kind of fell into this um, coaching, speaking, um, training. And, um, and then I went on one particular course, which was a big uh, game changer for me. It was a professional speaking course. 
it was uh, expensive. So it was um, at the time I did it, it was $13,000. So it was a lot of money. And even though the company was paying, I still wanted to get the best out of it. So I really threw myself into the preparation of that professional speaking course for uh, a number of months. And then when I got there, no one else had really done any training <laughs> or preparation. So we all had to give a presentation. And I was the only, there was two of us that had done any preparation. And I had done way more than everyone else, like way, way more. It was embarrassing. Most of the people standing up were just giggling and they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't know the slides, whereas I'd really taken it seriously. And so um, they said, look, you really seem to understand this business. We're launching a global business. We'd love you to be a part of it. You know, can you can you can you can you join us in it? And so I thought, oh, perfect timing, wow. perfect timing. So the jobs overlapped a bit. And yeah. it didn't turn out to be the the opportunity that I thought it was going to be. But a couple of opportunities that came from that eventually ended up um, with me um, in, a, in a wonderful position. So I'm so, so grateful I went through all of those things. So you say, how did you find your voice? I kind of fell into becoming a professional speaker and speaker trainer um, by luck. I suppose I was prepared, which, you know, makes a difference. But um, it unfolded for me, I think, is the is the truthful answer. So do you think that is how most people get into public speaking or are there other processes, more, more formal, more structured processes that people go through? I, yeah, it really depends. I think if you think about most people who are speaking, they've got a, a message, they've got something to say. So I think it's quite unusual that you would sit and say, I wonder what profession I should have. I wonder what I should do. Oh, I know, professional speaker. How do I go about being a professional speaker? Normally, people who are attracted to that, they have some kind of expertise. So for me, I was leading teams of people and I was coaching them and we'd initiated a, a process called a manager as coach within um, the organization. So we, we, we were a lot of the training I was doing was helping my team become better coaches with their teams and giving them a framework to um, to do that. And a lot of it was focused around the key to getting the best out of your team is having a relationship with each of them. So we were training all of the middle managers to be. Uh, better leaders with their with their team, but not complicated leadership. It was real simple. It was meet with them once a week. It was ask them about their levels of motivation. Ask them what would it take to move your mot motivation forward. What would that do for your results? It was very very simple. What are your goals for yourself personally? What are your goals for for the team? So it was basically giving them a structure to to feel confident enough to meet with their team and and build a relationship and then everything changes when that happens. So for me I wanted to I wanted to it was so successful I wanted to teach that initially and then when I started getting into uh, seeing the value of speaking I wanted to teach that. So it's not so much what shall I be all oh, public speaker how do I do that? I think people kind of fall into it. A lot of the people that I work with have their their own area of expertise that they they want to bring. Some people do see it as a business opportunity oh that's neat like a lot of people through the, the maxwell leadership team that we're both a part of of course yeah. they're coming in to um because they're attracted to leadership training uh, but then on that journey i think as i'm saying you discover what it is that you want to be doing you may come in for one reason and then you find something else that really suits you well i think um one of the one of the things that i spend a lot of time doing which is part of my background which i didn't talk about is helping people overcome the fear of speaking oh, and that yes. kind of found me because i suffered with panic attacks years ago and i had to deal with that as part of probably the 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 years of wasting time <laughs> more and more um a a anxiety producing and so trying to catch up and then having you know quite stressful jobs and like really 
working way way too many hours to try and catch up became very stressful so the panic attacks became worse and worse eventually i had to face that and deal with that and that was a long process but a fascinating process because i didn't even know that the the world of personal growth existed so as i had the courage to to look into it i mm-hmm. realized that there's a wealth of material on overcoming fear and um and and communication and you know and, and and the whole world really of personal growth so i became fascinated with it and i've never lost that love you know years later um still passionate about learning about myself and helping others and of course overcoming a fear of overcoming fear for speakers is a is a big part of it so yeah. my years of <laughs> trying to work on myself has just kind of come in very very handy for what i've ended up doing so it's really i don't know that i've set out i don't know that that many people have a right i'm going to be a speaker and it's going to look like this i feel like you you discover somewhat you feel your way you work out what you're good at you work out work out um perhaps what you're good at that you didn't realize you were good at or you didn't realize everyone's not good at and then you find some success and then it it, it finds you i think as much as you find it yeah makes sense so you it, it's funny you brought up fear because that that was actually really something i wanted to ask you about because i know that fear of public speaking is ranked higher than death, fear of death, right? So is that true? Like, do you see that actually being the uh, reality? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's true in that people, if you ask them on a list what they're most scared of, you know, what it's more recent for them, it's more likely. And so people will, in a survey, people will say, this is my number one fear they probably haven't been in life or death situations to be able to accurately assess that because I have a feeling that if I said, let's say you said, Roddy, I am absolutely terrified of speaking and I, there's no way I can step out in front of an audience. And let's say we're in the green room and there's 3,000 people just the other side of that door and you say, there's no way I can do it. I just can't do it. I'm not like that. You know, and on the survey, you would pick the, your number one fear of speaking. If I put a gun to your head and said, Anna, I'm going to shoot you if you don't go out there and do five minutes in front of the audience. <laughs> You'll be like, well, that's different. You know, if you put it like that, you know, now I'm a public speaker. You are out there and you'll, you'll do a good job. Or if I was threatening your dog or your loved ones or anything that's important to you, suddenly the fear of speaking is put in its place. Yeah. And it's not a fear anymore. It's just like, well, I don't care if I make a fool of myself. I don't want to get shot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if I don't do it perfectly. But interestingly, the flip side of that, if we were in the green room and there was 10,000 people there, it doesn't matter how big it is. And you're like, I just can't, I'm shaking at just the thought, even the, just hearing them talking out there is terrifying me. Okay. Listen, Anna, I want you to go up on stage. I want you to speak for 10 minutes, anything you like. When you walk off the stage, the other side, I'm going to give you a check for $10 million. Can you do it now? Give me the mic. <laughs> mic. I'm, I'm. And so like desire puts things in, perspective Uh as well so of course you don't want to go out and make a fool of yourself of course you'd like to do it perfectly but there's other things that can be more important that puts it into perspective so people aren't actually more afraid of death than um speaking of course it doesn't make any sense like keeping yourself alive is a survival ingrained survival instinct um but when you think about it people are much more likely to have had terrifying experiences about speaking in front of people than they have of taking you know uh, life-threatening situation so it appears that way so yeah it's a very let's say let's put it this way it's a very common fear a yeah. very common fear yeah I, I actually feel like you're doing a little coaching with me right here on my podcast <laughs> so I appreciate it <laughs> I love those incentives 
So I, I really want to focus on on this difference that I'm I'm seeing. It's happening, um, you know, when people are speaking. So it may be an obvious difference, or maybe not so obvious. But when someone speaks to truly help their audience versus to manipulate their audience, uh, I'm sorry, to manipulate their audience. How can you tell that? Can can you tell that? How can you tell that when you are um, in in the audience? Uh, well, it can be very difficult. I mean, th sometimes we feel it, but we don't want to believe it because there's a promise that's being made to us, which is important to us. So there's nothing, no one easier to manipulate than people who are desperate. You know, if you've got, that's why there's so many laws for different drugs or get rich quick schemes or whatever. If people are desperate, they're desperate to believe that if you're telling them, listen, I've got the secret. It's different. You know, you can trust me. Let, just the, and then they're like, okay, you know, I really want to believe this. So I'm going to believe it. You just need to believe it. You just need to do what I say. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do what you say. Okay. It's, it's going to work for you. It's going to solve all your problems. It's very easy to manipulate people who are desperate like that. Um, so sometimes we don't want to see perhaps the truth. Um, sometimes uh, it's difficult to tell. Some people's presentations, and this is the, the has been the prop for thousands of years, you know, like spiritual con men coming out of different places around the world, uh, snake oil salesmen. You know, if you've got a slick presentation, if you're really good at relating to the person and they can really see themselves in you and your journey the uh the the, the message you're sharing is like oh and it's very carefully crafted to get them to take a next step uh, coupled with you know perhaps some very direct sales techniques uh, maybe um subliminal messaging or covert hypnosis whatever you know some people can be very very persuasive and it can be very difficult to tell and i think intrinsically I don't know that we actually can tell the difference between incredibly well-presented falsehood and truth. You know, we, life would be a lot easier if we could. So we are all victims to a, to a slick presentation. But if you, if you, if you think about um, some of the techniques that are used, then at least you can like, at least take a pause or, or you know, g give yourself some breathing space. I interviewed uh, Cialdini, Dr. Cialdini, a number of years ago and asked him exactly this question. You know, what's the difference between using skills of influence? So for those of you who don't know, Cialdini wrote um, the book Influence, which for years has been a, you know, a bestseller on influence. And he talks about six kind of key principles of, of influence. And so I asked him about this position and he said, well, let me tell you a simple story. He said, I was waiting for my wife. I was in a, in a shopping uh, mall and I'm just looking through the windows and I look through the window of this electronic shop and they've got this huge big screen TV in the window and it's on sale. And so he found himself kind of drifting in and looking at this TV and he didn't want to buy a TV and gone there for a TV was just, you know, looking and the salesperson came over and said, Oh, I see you looking at this TV. And he said, yeah. And he said, um, it's a good price at that price. And, and, and Cialdini said, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I believe that. He said, I should let you know, this is the only one we've got. This is the only one we've got. And so Cialdini said, you know, okay, all right, thanks. I'm just looking. And then he said, and, and I spoke to a lady this morning who's coming over this afternoon and she said as long as there's nothing wrong with it then i'm probably going to buy it so just to let you know that and he said okay thank you and then he said i'm supposed to be the master of influence and <laughs> five minutes later i'm walking out of the shop with this big tv screen on the <laughs> shopping trolley that i didn't wow. even go there to buy and uh, and the question then was was he manipulated or was he assisted in making a, 
a, a you know a sale that was helpful for him and so he got back and he thought about it and he thought well how am i, how am I going to tell and he said I, I know i'll go back tomorrow and i'll look and see if there's another one of those tvs in the window where that one was i'll know that i've been tricked and then i will write a very scathing review for that organization and so we went back the next day and they got there and looked and there wasn't another TV there. There was a big hole where that last one was. And so they obviously didn't have any more. It wasn't a trick. They weren't pretending that this was the last one. He said, the interesting thing is, if I'd gone back, um, uh, if I'd, when I was there, if I'd left without him telling me that somebody was coming over to buy it and it was the last one, I'd thought about it. And then I went back to buy it later on this afternoon and it was gone. I would have been annoyed because I'd say, well, where's the TV? And they say, well, that was the last one we had. And I would have thought, well, why didn't you tell me that? Mm-hmm. Or there's a lady that was coming to look at it and she was probably going to buy it. So you, you only had a, a short window to buy it and you, you went off to think about it and then it's gone. He said, I would have been annoyed that they hadn't given me that information because that is the information I need to make a fully informed purchasing decision. And so by providing that information, if the scarcity exists in the situation, then you're doing the buyer a service because you're giving them all the information they need to make an informed decision. If it doesn't exist and you're pretending that it's the last one or pretending someone's coming, then uh, that's manipulation. So you, you can, you can, it's difficult, but with the right values, then you can, you can still sell things, but you're selling for them, giving them the information and empowering them to make the ultimate decision without manipulating them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Of course. In fact, I was going to ask you, what what do you believe is the impact values have on, on someone's motivation to speak? So, so that's a great question. Uh, so uh, back in, gosh, it would be 2011 now, I, s- I sat down for lunch with John and asked him exactly that question because I was thinking about, you know, John's very persuasive. He's very good at sharing information and um and being very persuasive. So I said, John, the better you get at this, how do you kind of make sure that line between manipulating people and influencing them for, for helping them? How do you how do you make sure that you don't cross that line? And Mark Cole was there as well. And I could see Mark Cole thinking, where's he going with this? What is he? <laughs> He's like leaning in very interested as well. And John said, well, I think it's, it's okay to be persuasive if you're doing it to help them overcome their barriers or their problems or their challenges or their fears or whatever it is that they need to do to, to step forward into growth. So if you're doing it for them, then it's influence. If you're doing it because it's something that you want to get from it and that's your primary uh, objective, mm-hmm. then that's uh, manipulation. So if you're doing it for yourself, then... Um, then, then that's not right. That's not well. It could be, it, probably it's manipulation. So it shouldn't be what you're going to get from it. It's about how, what can I do for you? Selling as a selling as a service, selling to to help people, not to get something from them. And it's your values that are at the heart of that. Because mm-hmm. I think if you become persuasive and you've got a high ticket offer, let's say you're selling a ten or a twenty thousand dollar something and you become persuasive, it's very easy for you to get blurred <laughs> in your mind. You tell yourself, oh, no, they need it. They need it. They have to have it. They have to have it. When actually what you're thinking is, I want to I get my commission on this sale. Whereas if it's like, I genuinely want to help them, I don't care whether they buy it or not. I mean, if it's going to help them, I, wanna, I want them to buy it. So you can think, you know, I want people to come to me that can benefit from my services. It's very different from I want to sell more of these things because I want to make more money. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, 
Well, I love that you are talking about John Maxwell on on here and giving some really good <laughs> yes, examples. Um, and we actually had Chris Robinson on the podcast before, and we talked a little bit about the Maxwell DNA. So all those wonderful values that we have as an organ, as an organization that that John right. that John looks for every single one of us to embody. So, and I love that. So I'm I'm thriving to inspire people to to really become more courageous um, to share their own convictions. I, I I find in in a lot of the conversations that I have that people are really afraid to share their authenticity, their their true ideas that are rooted in their own values. Um, so how do you help others increase their courage to speak about their deep convictions? So that's a great question. And I don't think the answer is straightforward, to be honest, Anna, because um, it depends what you're speaking on. See, I think, I think your courage to help people, your conviction to help people is something that's universal as a, you know, if you're in business, you should have that conviction to, you know, to, to help people. That's your primary goal is you want to add value to the audience. And if you're in any war to the person that you, to the people that you're speaking to, whether it's one person or, a, you know, a, a large audience. And if you're, if you're, if you're confused as to whether or not you're adding value, uh, a pastor friend of mine gave me a great kind of question to ask in that situation. He said, a simple way to try and get a good handle on whether or not what you're doing is for the greater good or not is just to ask yourself, if everyone did what you're doing, would the world be a better place or a worse place? <laughs> so I think that kind of, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, no, they should buy this, they should buy this. But if everyone was doing it, would it make the world better or worse? And it kind of is easy to say, oh, actually, you know, maybe I'm not doing this for them. So I think it's, it's important to have that conviction to, you know, add value to other people. But I caution people about sharing their underlying values in different situations. So I'll give you an example, let's say. Um, let's say I'm talking about overcoming the fear of public speaking and I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. It doesn't matter. Either one has my uh, my political affiliations uh, got anything to do with my ability to help you become overcome your fear of public speaking? Probably not. Now, if I want I'm going to share who I am and I'm just this is me, I need to be aware that that's going to polarize people because if I'm trying to help people overcome their fear of speaking and I'm tenacious in my um, um, including uh, who I am at all levels, including my you know political ideologies, I'm going to alienate at least half the people in the room probably. So do I have to share my convictions in unrelated areas? And given that we're we're all different, you know, politician is 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 one example of speaking maybe or political ideas. You could be fundraising, you could be going for a job interview, you could be speaking to sell, you could be a keynote speaker at a, at a conference. And I think some of your convictions are going to be relevant, but I think you want to keep others out of the conversation out from out of the conversation now uh, some people will say if you're a republican you should declare that proudly because you're going to attract republicans and that's true if that's what you want to do but if you've been brought into an organization to speak and it's a mix of people and you're saying i'm a republican or i'm a democrat or i believe in abortion or i don't believe in abortion or i'm or i'm all for guns or everyone should get vaccinated then you're likely to polarize the audience when maybe there's no need to if you're speaking about overcoming the fear of speaking do you see do you see the yeah, difference sure. so i think we've got to 
we've got to be clear about where we're going to do that, where we're going to do that. So do we want to divide the audience or do we want to, you know, and, and attract the people who are our crowd, which there's a time for. And on the Internet, you can do that. Uh, you can do that. You can you can put posts up that are very uh, controversial, let's say, and the people that are on your side can lean in and others can just remove themselves from the conversation. And so on the Internet, you can do it. But if you're in front of a room of people and you're speaking to them, you owe it to all of them to try and provide value if you possibly can. So I think some convictions it's good to stand with and some uh, you you want to avoid using um, or mentioning or or even going there if you yeah. can, because yeah. it's likely to cause cause problems. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and you're you're really talking about knowing your audience and, and the impact that you really want to make with every single one, which I know is huge in. in yes. And knowing yourself as well, you know, because sometimes if you're like, you know, well, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a passionate believer in God. It is sometimes it's it just comes out in everything you do. And if you're speaking to a corporate, I was like, I'm you know, I'm, uh, I wasn't always a believer in God, but I am a, a believer in God. Now, I've spoken recently to to corporate audiences where obviously they're not or obviously they don't believe it has any place in our conversation and it's like you know it's something that with one audience people would be like yeah i really feel like there is a force for good behind this and another audience is just like you can see behind their eyes what on earth are you talking about yeah (laughs) (laughs) knowing yourself is is important i think you know um what i'm saying is well this is a, a slightly different way to think about it perhaps we're all different and we're all the same but we're probably more the same than we are different, but we tend to focus on the differences. If you can keep the differences out of the conversation, people are much more likely to lean in and think, oh yeah, she's my kind of person. I really like her. Mm -hmm. If you mention even just like the differences could be 1% or 2%. If you, if you put them in the picture, they're going to be like, oh yeah, no, he's not like me. He's not like me. He doesn't really understand. So we want to like mm. try and connect on common ground as john says oh yeah that is so good that is so good so who have been a few speakers that have made the biggest impact in your life well undoubtedly um john maxwell has been the you know biggest all-round uh influence john's a, i think he's the best speaker in the world not just because on any given day for 10 minutes he's better than anyone else you know i've worked a lot with les brown over the years and he's a fantastic speaker as well. But John has so much material. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so wide. He's got so much it's like different material as well. You know, so there's a lot of leadership, personal growth, communication, spiritual growth, of course. Um, really, really, really good stuff. And he's world class in so many different keynotes in in explaining that. That's why I think he's the best. So, and and I've had the privilege of studying him um very he says i'm like a uh, an archaeologist like combing through his work with a yeah. toothbrush like trying to find things which um which is there's a lot of truth in that as an accurate metaphor because i spent so many years and so many hours kind of crawling through but i've also had the privilege of being mentored one-on-one by john over the years as well and um and working with him on the the maxwell method of speaking and so he's made a huge difference in all areas um we went to israel with john in 2020 my wife susan and i and we ended up um she was a used to be a jehovah's witness i was kind of agnostic and john was kind of uh, our spiritual guide for uh, a few years before and we ended up being uh, uh, baptized in the jordan in israel in 2020 so he's made a like a big impact on our lives and our children's lives in many different areas you know many different areas so john has been huge um, one of the first speakers that made a big difference was Bob Proctor. Uh, he was one of the first speakers I'd studied and seen and worked for. I did a curriculum for Bob Proctor's organization years ago as well, before 
uh, back in 2006. Um, and so he's a great, he was a great speaker. He died, you know, fairly recently, uh, but he was a great speaker. And I thought he was as good as he could get until John was a, a guest at one of the events that we were doing, a guest speaker. And I saw John, it's like, oh my goodness, this is a whole new level. And oh. so Bob was a very early influence. Uh, John, you know, uh, for, for, for many years since then. Uh, I looked at comedians as well for, for humor. I love Jim Carrey and um, Seinfeld. You know, the, the uh, comedians can be very um, helpful to learn from. Uh, people like Simon Sinek as well, Seth Godin, others that uh, I've uh, interviewed or worked with or shared the stage with have been um, quite influential, but no one like John. I think people often say, which speaker should I study? I think if you just studied John, he's so diverse that um, you can get so much from him. So John, by far more than, than anyone else, has been the biggest influence. Well, and I really love your diverse examples of people that have impacted you as well or you've learned from the most because I think I never really thought about um, studying or observing a comedian, but it makes so much sense, right? They're, they're connecting with the audience on a, on a completely different level in a completely different way. I can, I can totally see how that would add a lot of value to improving one's speaking ability. Yeah, I think we tend to see the world the way we are. So if you're a keynote speaker looking to to, to make uh, a, a great living and provide great value to audiences as a keynote speaker, you tend to see the world that way. So if you see, um, I didn't go and see Taylor Swift, but my, my daughter went to see her and you see what she's done, which is, you know, extraordinary. But you see her on her set. We watched the uh, the Eras tour actually on Netflix uh, a, a little while back. You see what she's done. You can begin to see the similarities between the performance that she's putting together, going in to a um, to a city and putting on like an Olympic event sized you know um, uh, uh, concert, and then the way that she provides entertainment and value and the way she chooses different songs and the transitions between the songs if you're if you're a speaker you'd look at that and you'd see some of the similarities from the showbiz element you know from the the audience entertainment element if you're a, a musician you'd probably see some of the same things if you're a speaker and you see a musician like you let's say you go and see elton john um, in concert or performing or had seen him in the past again you'd see they're playing songs. Taylor Swift is singing songs. Elton John is playing tunes and it's put together into a performance for the audience. And so there's many similarities there. I think stand up comedians are a great example because it's ruthless and it's like it's a bit like money. You know, you can measure it very clearly. So there's no ambiguity with a comedian. It's about laughter. And so they're putting on a, uh, a show for the audience. And uh, Steve Harvey said, if people are going to pay to come and see you, it can't just be half an hour. It can't be 40 minutes. It's got to be 90 minutes that you've got to put on because they're going to get a babysitter. They've got to travel there. They've got to pay for parking. They're going to get concessions. They're going to buy drinks or whatever in the break. They pay for a babysitter, whatever it is that they need to do to get there. They're going to come. It needs to be 90 minutes. And then while you're there, he said, uh, at a world-class level, we are talking about a house laugh, which he describes as 85% of the audience belly laughing. That's a house laugh. <laughs> six eight ten times a minute 
Now, you just think about that. The amount of work that goes into making the audience belly laugh once a minute (laughs) or once every five minutes, you know, let alone multiple times a minute for 90 minutes. That's a world class comedian at work. And so we can measure that. We can see, you know, what what is the payoff for the comedian? It's with the audience belly laughing. And so we can measure how many times they do that. The more times they do that, the better we say they are as a comedian. Well, for a speaker, it's similar but it's subtler because it's not just belly laughing, although that works very well, of course, but it's also, ooh, that's good. Or it's like grabbing a pen and writing that down. Oh, I've got to make a note of that. Or like, oh, didn't see that coming or some shock or the surprise storyline or we're leaning in or we're on the edge of our seat. So it's any kind of emotional shift that makes it more compelling and makes us hang on every word of the speaker. So it's subtler, but the, the comedian l- lays out exactly what that, the you know success looks like and it's like a heartbeat you know it's like the the the, sh- the shifts in energy for a speaker it's not just laughter but the same things are there so i think comedians are are, are a great source of um education in fact bill gove who was said by many people to be like the father of professional speaking people would say what speakers do you study he said i don't study speakers they think they're in the information business i study comedians because they know they're in showbiz oh wow that's <laughs> so, so good yes yeah, a neat uh Neat way of thinking about it. Yeah, we're definitely not just trying to exchange information or, or, or talk at right. the audience, right? So how long does it usually take to to come up with a really powerful keynote? And what, what are maybe some of the steps? Yeah, so I think some of the steps, it depends. Like most people aren't starting cold. So if you're like, you've never spoken before, you've never thought about what you're going to say, you haven't really thought about what you've learned from experience or, you know, if you're starting completely cold obviously it's going to take a lot longer than you know you're a manager let's say and you're used to um leadership and you're going to try and put together a leadership keynote of some kind so you're going to typically you're going to lean into areas you have some kind of experience in like you said right at the beginning um john maxwell says you know what should i speak on john well what have you lived out you should speak Mm -hmm. from experience of having lived it out that makes an enormous difference in terms of credibility and usefulness to the audience so where where you would typically start would be you know thinking about the message that you're going to share so what's the big idea how are you going to help them get there maybe breaking it down into a number of um uh key points along the way and a rough rule of thumb would be one kind of juicy topic every 10 or 12 minutes maybe 15 minutes if you're good if you've got you know a lot of material to draw upon so a big idea or a key point every 10 minutes let's say so if you're going to speak for 40 minutes you've got some kind of theme and then you've got two or three or maybe four big ideas and then you're going to bring those ideas to life from your own experience and that's typically where most of the work is because if you're talking about overcoming fear for example it's no good to say fear's not real you just need to do it it's all going to be fine people can't really relate to that it's true but it doesn't really inspire action so you need to then tell, take them on your journey you need to go back to the beginning of your journey tell them about overcoming the obstacles what you did why it worked who helped you how you can help them and then encourage them to go through that journey so there's some some work to do and so what you've lived out is a great way to convince them of that so mistakes you've made how did you learn this for each point? You know, mm-hmm. how did you learn this? What mistakes did you make? Where did you struggle? Where did you get stuck? Who came and helped you? What made a difference? And then teaching something around that. That's where your 10 minutes would be for each kind of idea. So you got 
three three kind of big ideas as part of your theme 10 minutes each that's 30 minutes five minutes for the introduction five minutes for the close and call to action 40 minutes overall let's say um you're going to have a mix of points and stories very roughly um it's different for everyone actually it's not really that helpful to give a amount of time but people bandy around lots of different professional speakers have said i can easily work for 60 minutes to produce one minute so like a 60 to one ratio sometimes it's a lot more than that if you're doing something you've done before it may be a lot less than that but it takes time to put together a a, a talk that is going to capture people's attention people that don't know you haven't seen you before they're going to connect with you they're going to see you as like yeah i really like her she seems to know what she's talking about she seems honest she's got good value she's my kind of person she's just like me just a little further along the along the path mm -hmm. i'm going to go and ask her about coaching afterwards it takes time to put together a talk that does that the good news is your first attempt you can you can still help people just not as many maybe and so the more effort you put into it and the more you do it the more you work on it the better it's going to get and so layer upon layer, you become more and more effective. Yeah, I love that. The law of consistency, right? It compounds every time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, wow, this is really good. And I know that you have helped so many people. And I'm super excited that you will continue to help so many great speakers that <laughs> are going to make a difference in the world. So where can the listeners learn more about you and from you? Yeah, so um, uh, Instagram, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, that would be great. Thank you. I think it's Roderick Galbraith. Well, it's Roddy Galbraith. But if you search, because we wanted to like register, so we didn't keep. We kept getting, um, kept getting uh, clone accounts appearing, and so we ended up registering. And then they have to use your full name, and so my full name is Roderick. So it's Roderick Galbraith. <laughs> I've been Roddy Galbraith for like 15, 17 years, or however long. And uh, now it changed fairly recently to Roderick. So Roderick Galbraith, follow me on Instagram. That would be great. Uh, you can go to speakerpro.com and uh, put your email in there and get um, newsletters information um, as we send them out. Um, that's probably the best ways to do it. I mean, I post stuff on Facebook as well, do Facebook lives, post stuff on YouTube, um, all of those. If you're, if you're interested in finding out about more about being a, a Maxwell Leadership Team member, of course, you can, uh, you can uh, reach out to, to them and, um, and, and, and find out more. Or if you're interested in one-to-one -one training, one-to-one, -one, if you're if you know that you want help with uh, speaker training, then just email me, Roddy at speakerpro.com, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah. So whatever works for you, basically. Lots of options. I love it. So um, the Values Room also has a library, and I did catch the book Influence. I will certainly add that into the library for the episode that we did together. Are there any other couple of books? on communication that you would recommend that I can include for listeners to have access to? So the 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication, John Maxwell's most recent book, I was involved in the process of developing that and uh, meeting with a, like a, a, a group of people uh, with John as we talked about the different laws and what's in them and not uh, um, what, what, what's included and that, that whole process, which is a fascinating <laughs> experience in, in itself. But that's a really, really good book for speaking. It's really, really good. I love John's earlier book, Everyone Communicates Few Connect. But that's a great book. It's very much focused on connecting, though, which is really important. But for a beginner, the 16 uh, Undeniable Laws of Communication is a great place to start because it's it's not quite, it's a little more than bite-sized, but it's, you know, it's digestible, it's manageable, and it's very helpful and very practical. So I think that's a great book um, from a speaking perspective. Um, 
I think that I think I would leave it at that. There's other books, but I think you can. I think that's a great place to start. Okay, great, sure. Thank you so much, Roddy, for being a guest on the Values Room podcast. Of course, I... it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to talk to you. I, I wish I could hear more from you during. <laughs> it's been a bit one-sided. Yes, I get to interview you. And actually, I'm glad <laughs> that you mentioned the 16 laws because I am actually going to be raffling um, one complimentary spot in a eight-week mastermind around the 16 laws of communication to the awesome. listeners. Yeah, right? It's a, it's invaluable, really, although it is yeah. a $497 value, but it's so impactful. I know the book is only about a year old since it's launched, um, and it's just already added value to so many people. So let me just share a few things about how we're going to do that. So for a chance to win and be included in the mastermind around the 16 laws of communication, uh, which is an eight-week program. It includes the book as well as discussions and videos from John. Please engage with this episode and share it with the hashtag The Values Room on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and your names will be entered in a raffle. And I will be um, selecting the winner on Saturday, February 17th, and then reach out to make sure that um, I get all your information uh, for the beginning of the following mastermind after that day. So thank you, Roddy, again. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I appreciate you very much. Me too. Thank you. See you soon. Lots of love. Thank you. And I appreciate all my listeners for tuning into the Values Room today. Please share this episode with at least one other person who has lived through an experience that can significantly help and inspire others. Give them access to the tools to share their story with the world. And you can find this podcast and all other episodes on all major podcast platforms, also on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on my website at thevaluesroom.com. The Values Room podcast is coming to you from the Alan B. Levan NSU Center of Innovation in Fort Lauderdale. My next episode will be in March, when I will be interviewing an international people advocate who is on a mission to help Romanian people redefine their relationship with work through purpose. Until next month, my friends, God bless. And together, let's raise the bar on values. Thank you very much.